You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. morning. It doesn't, thank you. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. It doesn't matter how many times I preach here, I still am not sure what to do while I'm waiting. I don't know if you noticed, like, I stood up here for a minute, and I thought, well, I'll go talk to my daughter for a minute, and then I lingered over there for a minute, then I wandered on back up. I've got to work this out somewhere or another. I don't know what I'll do. There needs to be a curtain or something back there for me to stand behind. We're back in Matthew, of course, and you know, last week we, uh, if, you were, if you were here, if you joined, right, Lyle preached on the, the Last Supper, right, and the, the betrayal of Jesus. And the text we're going to look at today is right, you know, right on the, right, coming right after that is really Jesus, we know it as Jesus' prayer in, in Gethsemane. Um, but before we, before we take a look at it, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever prayed and used the phrase, Lord, or something like this, Lord, if it's your will, or you prayed and then maybe tagged that on at the end, or maybe sort of sprinkled it in along the way. Now, if you did, it's completely appropriate and good, and you should. But just speaking from my own experience, I can think of times where either I or people I was praying with Maybe let's say we're praying and praying for someone to be healed, like somebody to be healed, they're sick or they're having surgery or any number of things like that. And we'll pray for them, but then maybe spend just as much time praying, sort of, I don't know if we're letting God know or if we're letting others know or letting ourselves know that I know we're praying for this, but just in case you're not going to do it according to your will. Right, so we, we, we sometimes use that like an exemption clause, almost. Right? Now, again, we should say it, and I'm not, I hope that every time you hear that from now on, you don't sort of think, I remember that guy talking about exemptions or something. But we do sort of use it like we're, we're giving God an out, in a way, right? just in case. Or, or, you know, what we're really doing is we're sort of showing that we know everything is possible with God, nothing's impossible with God. But I just want to make sure that he knows and then the people around me know that I'm not being presumptuous here. I'm not assuming that God's going to do anything that I'm asking him. I maybe don't think he is, so I'm going to sort of play the spiritual odds and tag in. Now, of course, according to your will. And I think that is sometimes how we use that phrase. That we, it's sort of sometimes expressing for us that yeah, God could do what I'm asking, but I'm not entirely convinced he will, so I'm going to resign myself ahead of time, right? It's like we're, we're going to concede ahead of time or resign ourselves ahead of time that we're not going to get what we asked for and God's going to do what he wants and then we will just go ahead and not get what we asked for. Now, when we pray according to your will, as we should, or say, Lord, if it's your will, that should not be, though, an expression of, like, pre-resignation. I don't know if that's a thing. Like, resigning ahead of time that we might not get what we're asking for. 
And it shouldn't be like we're offering God sort of a, a way out, as it were, right? Praying according to God's will is bringing our desires to Him, as we should, asking Him for what it is we're asking, but also asking that our desires and our acceptance of His answer would be conformed to His will. So it's saying, according to your will is a prayer of faith. It's not like an insurance policy. It's not checking the boxes to make sure God knows that you know that He is in charge and you're not. It's a prayer of trust that's even in the middle of of being a prayer of trust, it's even asking for faith, that we would be shaped and conformed and changed according to His will, not just, Lord, please do this, but, you know, in case you don't, according to your will, which is, I think, the way we sometimes use it. In this text before us today, we have sort of the ultimate example of Yet not what I will, but what you will in the prayer of Jesus to his Father in the garden. Now, I want to be really clear. This text is not like a how-to pray text. It's not just here so that we would read it and learn some lessons on how to pray. Though we will and can't. And it's not just a sort of standalone text about how we need to be more like Jesus. We do. But in other words, it's not just a lesson here. What, we're, what we've done, you know, when, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, um, hearing the sermon on when Jesus was anointed, right, by the, by the woman when he, he was anointed, like she anointed his feet, and, and the disciples were like, hey, this money could be used. And Jesus said, don't you understand, she's preparing me for my burial. That's sort of at the point In Matthew, we're reaching the climax of everything that's been coming since the beginning. From the very beginning of, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so what what happens here, again, it's not just a moral lesson on how to pray. It's not even just a moral lesson or an object lesson on what it means to pray in the will of God, though those things are here. What we're really seeing is we're in the middle of this climax, this extended climax of the whole entire story of Matthew. What everything has been leading up to is now unfolding, and Jesus is facing it down. Everything that he's been talking to his disciples about, about what's going to happen, it is now happening. And I'll mention this again later, but I just want to kind of put this bug in your ear. Have you ever found that knowing something bad is coming made it better when it got there? Or had you prepared for it when it actually got there, no matter how much maybe you knew, that then when you faced it, you thought, oh yeah, I was ready for this. There's no problem. I prepared for this a long time ago. This is the worst tragedy I've ever faced in my life. But it's okay because I was ramped up for this like six months ago. And so, but we'll, we'll come back to that idea. In this prayer, I'm sorry, in this text, What we see is Jesus, the Son, praying to his Father and telling him, asking him, saying to him, Father, if there's there's some other way according to your will, 
He's not trying to bust out, but if there's some other way for this to pass, yet not I, yet not my will, but your will be done. What you hear in this is a prayer of trust. It's a prayer of faith, right? And, and sometimes we think of faith as like, that's the first thing you do, then you take the next step and you obey, right? I'm going to get the trust part down. Now it's time to start obeying. One of, the, one of the things I think we forget is believing is obeying. It's not just the first step. It's not just the bridge to obedience. Believing is obeying. And what you hear in this is Jesus trusting. So, Father, according to your will, is Jesus trusting that his Father's will is correct, even if he's in the middle of saying, is there, is there another way? So as we, as we come to this text, I'm going to read Matthew, we're going to read together Matthew uh, 26, 36 to 46, um, but before we do, just to, there's a, just to fill in the gaps a little bit, between the Last Supper and the text we're going to read, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, tonight you're all going to fall away, and they all say, you want to bet? And Peter, speaking for all of them, says, even if everyone falls away, I will never fall away. In fact, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Now, we're not going to come back to that, but keep that in mind, because that's what sets the whole thing up is one of the things you have before this text starts, you have this, you have this confidence from the disciples, right? By the way, when you read them, you have to ask yourself, would I have really done better? Because I think we read things like that and think, there's those guys again, failing, not like me, right? We have to put ourselves in their shoes. One of the things we have to understand here is what Jesus is getting ready to face, even though he has told them over and over and over again, is not something that can even come close to comprehending. They can't be there. And that's what happens, right? One of the things that this does is it contrasts, right? The, the disciples, they can't share in this fellowship with him. They're unable to. Jesus must do it and must do it alone. So if you're able, please stand. And we'll read these uh, 10 or so verses together from Matthew 26, 36 to 46. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further He fell face down and prayed, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, So you you couldn't stay awake with me one, one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter in temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping. 
because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that these words would not just be a story that we've heard or things that we're interested in or just information, but that your living and active word would open our hearts, would penetrate us down to the very deepest parts, would shine lights in the dark places, and that we would be transformed and shaped by hearing you speak to us today through the power of your word in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Jesus' whole ministry is bookended by temptation. And it's in the middle too. Maybe bookend is not really a great illustration since I say also in the middle. It's like bookends and the books. Now we're used to the first one. We know the first one pretty well anyway. And that is before his ministry, right before the beginning of his ministry, right? Jesus goes off into the wilderness. He's, he's, um, he's tempted by the devil. And we're pretty familiar. That's in chapter 4 of Matthew. So, you know, when we were going through Matthew, that's a long time ago, but, but we probably know it. He's taken and he's in, the, he's in the wilderness, and the devil comes and tempts him three ways, right? He says, hey, you're hungry? Turn these stones into bread. And then he takes him to the top of the temple and says, hey, if you're everything you say you are, go ahead and throw yourself off. I mean, after all, if you do, I mean, the scriptures say, you know, his angels will Bear you up. You won't even hit. Just give it a shot. And he says to him, you know, if I got something for you, I can give you the whole, the whole world can be yours. You can, it's yours. You can have everything. Just worship me. Now, what are those temptations? Well, there's lots of things involved. I'm not going to try to unpack them. But here's the main thing. And you can really see it. You can see it in all of them. But I guess you can maybe see it the, the clearest in the second one. The devil is tempting Jesus to do what? To show his glory apart from the cross and suffering. Right? That's, that's what temptation kind of is, right? It is have it all apart from the cross. Right? So if he shows himself, right? If he, if he puts it all on display, if he goes flying off the temple and the angels pick him up, then he, he shows his full glory apart from the cross and suffering. And that, I tell you, that is at the heart of it. Jesus all along is being tempted. He's being pulled. He's being pushed, if you will, away from the path of suffering and the cross to have glory, or really a fake version of it, apart from it. It happens in the middle of Jesus' ministry. He tells the disciples, this is in Matthew 16, um, he asks the disciples, who, who am I? And they say, Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right. And then he says, now, now that you know, now that we're clear, now that you know who I am, let me tell you what I've come to do. And he'll tell them three times, at least, that we know of. 
And you'll say, the Son of Man is going to Jerusalem. He's going to be turned over to the Gentiles. And he's going to be, cruci- and he's going to be, he's going to die. And on the third day, he's going to rise again. And Peter stands up, just like you would, just like I would, and says, no. Right? Because when was the last time somebody had a huge political movement or a social movement and said, the first thing we need to do is get our leader killed, then we'll succeed. Right? So you might think, Peter, what's wrong with that guy? I'm going to tell you something. I would have tackled him. I'm not saying that's great. That's also the wrong response. But do you understand? This is why Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, because you're not concerned about the things of God. You could say, you're not concerned about God's will. You're concerned about the things of people. And that's what Jesus has said. You know, this is, that's what it is. Peter's suggestion to Jesus, or his statement, you're not going, is what? No cross, no suffering. We got a good thing going here. So when you come to the end of Jesus' ministry, as we're reading about today and for the next couple of weeks, next few weeks, this is happening again. Jesus is now on the brink of the whole entire thing. And he's, yes, he's known it's coming, but he's, he is staring down the barrel, if you will. It is now here. And he's facing not just the physical torture and unbelievable agony of the cross. What he's facing is something that no one has ever faced, including him. And that is the complete and total judgment of the eternal God against sin. That will really reach its climax. You'll hear this from him on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what he's facing. It's not just the pain and the agony. It's, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where where are you? That's what he's facing. And he's looking it, looking right at it. And we have, to, we, have to, we have to keep that in mind as we come, as we come to this text. And we have to remind ourselves, number one, this is number one, not an act. Jesus is not crying sort of like crocodile tears here, just to put a show on for the kids to think that he really means it. I think sometimes we think because of who he is, because he is fully God and fully man, he is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us from earlier in Matthew. That sometimes we think that Jesus is here and it's like, well, I mean, come on. I mean, he's eternal. He's before all things. Through him, everything was created. He's already said he's going to rise from the dead. I mean, you know, he knows he's coming out the other side. Now, if you've ever thought something like that, that's okay. You don't have to kick yourself for thinking things like that or asking those questions. Those are big questions. But we're confronted here with the greatest mystery of all, and that is how Jesus is fully God, yet fully man. A mystery into which, by the way, we cannot go. Now, we need to talk about it. We need to discuss it. But we can't enter into it. But just let me say this. There is no way to say how important it is that Jesus is not putting on an act here. That he is made like us in every way, except without sin. And don't forget, sinning is easy. Temptation is hard. 
Anybody can sin. I can do a two hands tied behind my back, asleep. Temptation is hard. And so he's confronted with this, and he is really going through this. So let's look at this first prayer. Jesus says, he takes them with, he takes, you know, he takes Peter and James and John, and he says, hey, come with me. So here again, we see Jesus' full humanity because he wants his friends with him. He wants their comfort. He, just like he's sharing, do you understand? It's like he's sharing it with them, saying, I need you. I, 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 I need you with me. I need you with me in this. He wants their fellowship. He wants their comfort. And so he takes these three guys with him and says, hey, just stay with me. Just stay with me. And again, it's not because you're like, well, you know, really, I'm the son of God, but I'm going to bring these guys with me. I mean, I don't know why I'm really, I'm just going to do it. No, he wants them there. And don't forget what they have just said. Hey, (laughs) we'll go all the way to the mat with you on this. And he takes them there, and he says, look how he shares with them. I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Now, deeply grieved is not just, man, I'm really down about this. I just got to tell you, I'm super down. It is like he's saying, I'm being eaten alive by this. I'm being swallowed up by sorrow and grief, right? And, And everybody in here can understand that to some degree. Like everybody, even maybe even now, has gone through something where you feel like you are walled in by suffering, walled in by anxiety, walled in top and bottom, floor, ceiling, everything, by what you're going through. Like, there's no way out. And this is what he's feeling like times 10, or times 10 doesn't do it. I'm not going to do any more math than that, though. So he's grieved. But we have to understand, when he comes and prays, Father, if it's possible, let this cut pass from me, yet not, what is I, not, not as I will, but what you will. There is absolutely zero wrong with him asking to be out of the suffering. There's nothing wrong with the request that the suffering end. Martin Luther said this about Christian suffering, and we can apply it, I think, to what Jesus is going through. Luther said, there it is, it, that is Christian suffering, should be the kind of suffering which, if it were possible, we would gladly get rid of. So we're not looking to bring suffering on. As necessary it is, it's not something that we're like, yeah, this is awesome. Right? So there's nothing wrong. Jesus is not doing something wrong. He's not rejecting who he is or what he's supposed to do by saying, if it's possible, let this cut pass. He's suffering like a person suffers. And when a person suffers, they don't be like, hey, pour it on, give me more. That's not how people suffer. That's not how you suffer. You don't suffer by thinking, yeah, more. This is an eight, give me a nine. This is a nine, give me a 10. Give me an 11. No, you want out. You want it to end. 
So did he. But what you see here, though, is, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. What you hear in Jesus is him telling his father, this is what I'm going through. This is what it's like for me. This is what I'm facing. He doesn't ask to bust out of God's will. He's asking, is there any other way? According to your will, is there, is there some other way? He's not trying to abandon. He's asking like the way a son asks a father. Right? He's not rebelling in the asking. He's drawing close to his father in the asking. He's not pushing back and being like, oh, no way, man. Come on. No, he's asking the way a son asks a father. But he says, yet not what is I, as I will, but as you will. And so in this, Jesus is saying to the father, not as I will, not another way. If this is your way, form me, shape me, uphold me. Conform me to your will. I know it's dripping. You do too. But let's try to ignore it, right? Or you're like, is it dripping? Now I just called your attention to it. It is. So if you're back there, you probably can't see. But now you're aware of it. And I keep talking about it too, if it's not bad enough, right? So whatever the case. This is what he's asking. He's asking to be formed and shaped and focused on doing God's will. It's a prayer of trust. It's not a prayer of like exemption clause. It's a prayer of trust that no matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm experiencing in this, your will be done. Shape me and form me. Uphold me. Your will be done. Because Jesus is acknowledging what? That God's will is the only way. But it's a son talking to a father. And he's not done. He comes back and he sees them sleeping and says, could you not stay awake? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, he recognizes in them, like he remembers all their willingness, all their intentions, all their desires. But yet the flesh is weak. And also, he knows what they're getting ready to experience. In this, little bit of, in this little bit of text, what we're seeing is, even in the midst of all this, Jesus is concerned about these guys. And you could, you could go read about it. We, we don't have time. I'm not going to talk about it. But you could go read in John. He has a whole prayer where he prays. This very night, he prays for these guys. And for us, by the way. But then he goes back again a second time, and he says, Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, it's important that we understand, what's the thing? If this cannot pass, what's the path? It's the cup. The cup is the cup of, this is, this is Old Testament imagery of the, the, the cup of God's judgment against sin. And what Jesus is saying is this, if this cannot happen, apart from me taking it, your will be done. What's the this? In other words, if Jesus passes on the cup, it passes to us. If Jesus passes on the cup, it passes on those 11 guys who are left of the 12, it passes on them. And all there will be with you to the end. 
If Jesus passes on the cup, it is passed on to all humanity who will be crushed forever by it. And Jesus says, if this is the only way for them not to be crushed, if this is the only way for them not to be wiped out, then I will take it according to your will. Now, again, it's not as though he didn't know these things have been coming. Of course he has. But don't rationalize away what Jesus is experiencing here. Don't make him less than human as you're thinking about him and what he's doing here. And again, knowing something's coming doesn't take the pain away. I can remember one time talking to my dad. I talked to my dad a lot of times, but I remember one time in particular, he had seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. Now, my dad landed at D-Day. Now, before you get your calculators out, I was a super late, unexpected child. And if my brother and sister happen to be watching later, they are way older than I am. I mean, you need a, like an abacus to figure out how much older they are than me. <laughs> like, and why did he say, why did I say abacus? I don't, right? Because that's what they grew up using. That's why. So, yeah, just to be really, really clear about that, when my dad's friends were retiring, my dad was like, look at me, man. Kid. Right? I mean, they're like on the verge of retirement. My dad's like, not this guy. My mom, on the other hand, not super thrilled at the beginning. (laughs) Though obviously overjoyed by the product, right? (laughs) So, yeah, that's funny. Seriously, it it is. (laughs) Especially if you know me really, really well. So my dad actually landed at D-Day. He was like barely 18 years old. And we asked him, was was saving Private Ryan, was that what it was like? He's like, well... It was worse. He's like, as far as the movie goes, sure. And he would often talk about the days leading up because they spent like two days in the English Channel floating on these transport ships, enclosed, is in storms with nothing to eat but split pea soup for almost two days, floating around out there, being tossed around. You can imagine what's happening to these guys, right? My dad's from the mountains of West Virginia. He's never been on a boat. Not that kind of boat anyway. And, but he said, you know, as much as we were briefed, as much as we knew that many of us, if not most of us, maybe none of us in this boat, in this landing boat, were going to survive, nothing had us prepared for the minute they dropped that ramp. You, and he said, you, you can't be prepared for that. It doesn't matter what, how you've trained. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you've imagined. It doesn't matter how knotted up you are when they drop that thing and the, all of a sudden the overwhelming sounds and the sights that you can never unsee again happening like six inches away from you and the smells and everything else, you can't be ready. And so this is what it is, right? Jesus, no matter how much he knows, is now confronted with what? Not just pain and death, bad enough, but with the absolute judgment of God against sin. And he's facing it down. And that's why he says, Father, not a, 
if it's possible, let this cup pass. But then, if this is the only way, I will do it. But notice, he doesn't emerge from this like some sort of superhero, right? And you can see this in the third one, the third prayer, where he goes back and Matthew says he went and prayed the same thing again. He doesn't, Matthew doesn't repeat it. He just tells us what Jesus says as he returns. Then he came to the disciples and said, are you still sleeping? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. He doesn't, he doesn't come out of that garden like some kind of like super martyr hero with an aura around him. He comes out betrayed. He is only moments away from being in chains and drug away from his friends and turned over to these Gentile Romans to be killed. But not, af- not, not until after hours and hours and hours of humiliation and agony, leading up to an agony that goes beyond the unimaginable agony of the cross. And he's facing it. And so he doesn't, in other words, when he comes out of that garden, it's not like, okay, that's good. I get God's will, I got it. No, yeah, I'm ready. When he comes out, the cross is still there. That's the point, right? The suffering has not stopped. He's not all of a sudden like, oh, I'm pretty good with this suffering now. The suffering has gone nowhere. In fact, it's just going to get turned up more and more and more and more. It's still there. But Jesus comes out, your will be done. Now, when he asked, it wasn't, again, it wasn't wrong for him to ask, is there another way? And Jesus didn't ask the wrong thing. Did God answer his prayer? He did. But we need to remember that answer of prayer is not simply I got exactly what I asked for the way I asked for it. Now, there's lots of other texts in the Bible about prayer that we should talk about, right? Whenever, whatever you ask for in my name, I will do. Yeah, there's lots of other things to say about prayer. But here, the thing we want to focus on is, it's not as though God's will was not done. Or that, well, I didn't get what I want, but God's will got done. Or, I'm going to give God an out. He took it. I'm not getting my thing, but his will is done. No. Jesus is shaped and formed by the will of God, just as he had asked. Not my will, but your will. Not in spite of my will, but it's like, make my will your will. But again, please remember, Jesus is not, this is not like a son and a father face-off, right? Where it's like, you know, it's like the father saying, do this, no, nope, you do this, nope, do this, nope, until finally, like, all right, I got to do it. This is, not a, you know, this is not a battle of the two wills. So don't take, it, don't take it that way. This is a son asking the father, is there some other way? And the father saying, no, there is no other way. And the, fa- and the son saying, yes, you're right. Your will be done. And taking it all upon himself so that it doesn't pass to you.
And that's what's happening in this text. And in this text, we hear, we hear an echo as I'm wrapping this up. We hear an echo of a, a, a part of the Psalms that we're maybe familiar with. We sing a song that's, that's, that's based on at least one verse of Psalm 42. I'll just read it for you. My soul, why are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise Him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan. Deep calls to deep in the roar of the waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. Lord, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of my enemy's, uh, enemy's oppression? You see, that psalm, why are you so downcast on my soul? Put your trust in God. It's not him rebuking, like, I got to get myself in order here. I got to stop all this sorrow. Start trusting God. No, he is turning to God in the midst, in the middle of his sorrow. Not once the sorrow goes away, and much less, once I fix this sorrow, then I'll turn to God. Once I stop this sinning, then I'll turn to God. No, it is in the middle of it. It's in the middle of it because it doesn't stop. Right, he goes on. He, he like your your waves. I'm like I'm like I'm like a boat on the ocean, and you're like a gigantic tidal wave washing over me. And how long will you be? How long will you not be with me? He's rejoicing in God in the middle of that, not in the absence of it, not waiting for it to be over or trying to fix it first, but in the middle of it conforming to God's will, praising God for who He is. And that's what it is. In this prayer of Jesus, we see Jesus, what? Looking at the Father and trusting Him to be who He says He is and to do what He says He's going to do, including the promise that Jesus has of how this is going to end, that He will rise from the dead. And that's why Jesus can leave that garden in chains, or at least, you know, tied up somehow. Confident that he's doing the will of God, but not because it's all gone. Now, as we're coming to the, as we're coming to the end, there's a couple of things I want to share with you just as you're, as you're, as we're celebrating Lent, right, and we're thinking through these things. The first thing I do is I'd, I would invite you, honestly, just to go home and, and read this text again. And as you do, remember that in this text, Besides all the very, you know, there's lots, there's lots of complicated things that we would talk about and things that we could say and need to say. But the big thing is this, that Jesus did not let that cup pass, that he took your judgment and you are forgiven. That you stand before God, not alone, ever. That he went through this, what he could only do the disciples couldn't do it, you couldn't do it, I couldn't do it, all of us together couldn't do it, and that is bear the penalty of sin. He did it alone so that we would be free. He did all that, and we just receive it by faith. And I would say this, when you pray according to God's will, it's a prayer of faith, not, resigna- not resignation, not concession, and not offering an exemption clause, but a prayer of faith. 
that God's will is not just one way, but the way and the best way because God is who he says he is and he can be trusted. But not just in a resigned whatever sort of way. And that we're praying that our desires would be conformed to his will. It is praying in faith and asking for faith at the same time. When you pray, if it's, if it's your will. You're praying in faith and also asking for faith. Not so that you can then go and do things, but so that you can be shaped and formed. And remember this. Isaiah says this. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned in our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He suffered alone for your forgiveness, and now you are never alone. And he was tempted like you and, knows, and was suffering in temptation so that he can help you and be with you when you are tempted. And all this is because Jesus says to God, Jesus the Son, God incarnate, says to God the Father, yet not what I will, but what you will make my will, your will. And because he has done that, we're here together today. I don't have a cup, but that's okay. We're here together today to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And before you come forward, in a minute, you can come forward and and leave your mask on. And when you come up, you'll be served and then return back to your seat. But just remember, in that cup that you're holding, in that little tiny wafer that you're holding, it is, a, it is standing, it is standing for the body and the blood of Jesus that was broken for you and the blood that was poured out for you according to the will of God, which was perfectly obeyed, believed, accepted, and accomplished by Jesus for us. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and said, take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.